0: Please open them to Matthew chapter 12. If you enjoyed the song during communion by Katie Doherty, you may want to thank her afterwards because she and her family are leaving after this weekend to go live up in Carmel. So we're going to be saying goodbye to them. Please, you may want to tell her how much you appreciated her ministry of music over the years as well. Okay? We're in Matthew chapter 12. We were in John for the last several weeks, but we're going through the Bible chronologically, so we get to read about these things as they happen. And tonight you're going to get a bit of a Jewish history lesson, okay? This morning you're going to get a bit of a Jewish history lesson. I don't know what you're doing tonight, but this morning you're going to get that, okay? All right. Let me ask you, when you think of the word religion, what pops into your head? Are the pictures you get delightful images of faithful people living in a loving relationship with their creator? Or do you, like me, when I hear that word religion, think of stuffy, boxed in, have to do it, mechanical, going through the motions, methods of trying to reach God but never succeeding? How about this phrase, religious people? Do those words conjure up happy, joy-filled believers communing together with their God? Or does that phrase, religious people, bring to mind burdened, beleaguered pilgrims hunched over under man-made rules and regulations on how to worship God? If you're reminded of the latter descriptions, you have a sense of the type of religious system the Jewish people were under in the time of Jesus. Worship of God was reduced to formalities and rules with strict adherence to the letter of the law. And if we're not careful in our relationship with Jesus, we too can miss the true meaning of what it is to walk with him, reducing our love for him into a series of mindless rituals and activities, forgetting about what it means to worship him in spirit and in truth. When I witness out in the street and people say to me, oh, you're, you're religious, it makes me cringe because I know they're thinking the same thing. Okay, I'm a religious guy and I'm going to expect them to do all these religious formalities, But no, and I have to correct it. I get no, 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 I'm not religious. I'm in relationship with Jesus. How does this sound? Is this a little buzzy? Or does it sound okay? Sound okay? So it's just me. It isn't me. It is buzzy. Okay. So, um, Dale, when you see our sound guy, could you tell him somebody? (laughs) Kevin Bryan. Wouldn't you see Josh, could you have him just correct that when he comes back? Thank you. All right. As we continue with this chronological chronological trek through the Gospels, we see mounting opposition to Jesus' ministry from the religious leaders of his time as he challenges them on their rules and regulations of what it means to worship him. So let's read Matthew chapter 12, 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry... And began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. We're used to reading those words if you're going through your Bible regularly and we read those but we don't fully understand the significance of everything that's going on here and I was praising God on Thursday night after doing this study I'm saying thank you God that I get to do this as my vocation I get to study the Bible and I hope to communicate some of the excitement I felt as I learned about these things as well and you get a bit of a Jewish historical context to what's going on. But we know that Jesus was always correcting that religious sect, the Pharisees, don't we? He's always correcting the chief legalists of the day on what God's word really said and meant. And the Pharisees believed that it was Israel's duty to keep all of the law in the first five books of the Bible called the Torah or the Mosaic law. And that individuals as well as the nation needed to keep that law as well the Pharisees determined that there were 613 commandments. They counted every one, 248 positive, 365 negative. They then made a hedge around those laws so that there would be no possible way anyone could break them by ignorance or accident. In other words, they expanded those laws with other laws to clarify what the law actually meant. But by doing this, By adding all those clarifications, they got far away from the spirit of God's intent in worshiping him, especially concerning the Sabbath day. So in this passage, Jesus demonstrates to the Pharisees what the Sabbath is really about and who it is for. First verse. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now in the beginning, when God finished creating the earth in six days... He rested on the seventh, the Sabbath. The word Sabbath means to cease, rest, or inactivity. The fourth of the Ten Commandments was a special sign of the covenant between God and Israel. He ordained that this day would be a day of resting, of ceasing from work for Israel. This is what the fourth commandment says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The fourth commandment is a non-moral ceremonial rule that was unique between God and Israel. It was a non-moral ceremonial rule between God and Israel. The other nine commandments are moral absolutes, but the Sabbath day was given to Israel as God's specially redeemed people. No work was allowed. It was a day that was to be totally given to the Lord. Now, observing the Sabbath was at the very core of the Jewish religious system. It was an exceptional day, a holy day. So what were Jesus and the disciples doing on the Sabbath? Well, they were walking through the grain fields on the narrow strips of land that separated the crops. And worse yet, his disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. Luke further explains they even had the gall to rub them in their hands. Shocking, isn't it? Shocking, I tell you. Verse 2 says, When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Actually, what they were doing was not against Scripture at all, because Deuteronomy 23, 25 says this, If you enter your neighbor's grain field... You may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to a standing grain. What does that mean? God made a provision for the traveler to eat if he was hungry. Because during that time, there were no McDonald's, there was no hometown buffets, there was no Carl's Jr.'s. So, he made a provision, if you're hungry, that you could take something off of the standing grain. Many of you have seen orange trees with their branches hanging over the walls, right? Right? And you walk by and you go, uh, oh, is it right that I take an orange or not? And then invariably your kids come home with a bunch of oranges, okay? Isn't it nice that God made that provision, an okay provision? They were not working. They were satisfying their hungry. They weren't taking the sickle. They weren't harvesting. They were just picking off grains. The problem for the Pharisees was that Jesus was not holding to their traditions. Their man-made interpretation of Scripture And there were thousands, literally thousands upon thousands of regulations of what could and could not be done on the Sabbath. One section of a major collection of Jewish tradition called the Talmud had 24 chapters on the Sabbath laws alone. 24 chapters. One rabbi spent two and a half years studying just one chapter. So you could literally spend an entire lifetime studying what it means to honor the Sabbath. Listen to some of these laws concerning the Sabbath day. You couldn't take a bath for fear water would spill onto the floor and wash the floor as it fell off you. A woman couldn't look in a glass because she might see a gray hair and pluck it out. I didn't say anything about men. You could have a wad in your ear if you had an earache, but you couldn't have a false tooth because that was carrying a burden. Jewelry, or you could never carry a burden that weighed more than a dried fig. Or you could carry something that weighed half a dried fig twice. Jewelry couldn't be worn because it weighed more than a dried fig. And I don't know if any Jewish ladies wore dried figs, but I don't think they look very nice. You were not allowed to carry anything in your right hand or your left hand, but but you could carry something with the back of your hand or your foot, or your elbow, or in your ear, or your hair, or the hem of your skirt, or your shoe or sandal. Is this ridiculous? When we handed out gospel tracts in uh, West Hollywood, there's a large contingent of Orthodox Jews there, and we would hand out these gospel tracts, and one of them said to me, I can't take it. We don't carry. go, what do you mean you don't carry? We can't carry anything. I wanted to appeal to him that it's It weighs less than a dried fig, but I don't know if that would have worked. (laughs) Here's some more Jewish regulations. If you threw an object in the air and caught it with your other hand, it was a violation of the Sabbath. If you caught it with the same hand, it was okay. If it was near the Sabbath and you reached out for your food and the Sabbath overtook you, you had to drop your food before you drew your arm back or you'd be carrying a burden. A tailor couldn't carry a needle on the Sabbath or he would be tempted to sew something that ripped. A scribe couldn't carry his pen because he might write. A pupil couldn't carry his books because he might read. You couldn't examine anyone's clothing because you might find an insect on it and kill it. These guys were meticulous, weren't they? You couldn't travel more than 3,000 feet from your house unless on Friday you had planted some food 3,000 feet away. Then when you got there and had food there, that would become a home because there was food there and then you could go another 3,000 feet. It's kind of funny how they write laws and then they write ways to get around the laws, right? And we can laugh, but we do the same thing. Let me give you an example from my own life. My wife and I have have this little policy that when we eat, we always save the last bite of food to the Lord. It's an exercise in self-control. Try it. It's easy to give the first bite to the Lord. It's almost impossible to give that last bite. It looks so tempting and so good. And oh, that last bite. So I kind of got around that rule sometimes. Sometimes I'm really hungry. I want to eat a little bit more. And it's not that I can't, but I've made this little, little policy. So what I'll do is I'll take my wife's last bite, and then I'll give my bite to the Lord. So I kind of get around a little bit. We have a (laughs) And I I never give the last bite of ice cream because the Lord doesn't like ice cream. As you might imagine, the Sabbath day was anything but a day of rest. It was an incredible burden. Because of their own traditions, the Pharisees protested when they saw Jesus and his disciples pick a little grain, roll it in his hands, and eat it. Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now why? Why would, the why would the Pharisees consider what Jesus and the disciples doing unlawful? Well, because the disciples picked some grain, that was considered harvesting, which is work. Not only that, if a person rolled wheat to remove the husks, it's sifting. If he rubs the heads of wheat, it is threshing, and if he throws it up in the air, it is winnowing. The disciples violated the Sabbath by preparing a meal. They didn't just break one law according to the Pharisees, they broke many. By the way, you have to wonder what these religious leaders were doing out in the fields anyway. 3,000 feet, did they plant food every 3,000 feet? I don't know. By accusing Jesus and the disciples, these guys were sinning themselves by putting their traditions on the same par as God's word. In Matthew 15, 6, Jesus said, You nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Instead of a special day of rest, a time to be spent in joyful reflection on the Lord, the day had become, because of tradition, a painful, burdensome day of rule keeping. Can you imagine that? I mean, really, rest on the Sabbath day. That's pretty much it. But take a look at our our government. I've heard it said that we're legalists at heart. Whenever there's an opportunity to legislate something or create a rule, we tend to do it. It's the human thing to do to create rules, isn't it? Our government, we probably have more laws on the books than any other nation. One source said that 40,000 new laws went into effect in 2012 alone. That's a lot of laws. Has this made us a more law-abiding, moral nation? All those laws? No. In fact, have you ever noticed when you see a law, what do you want to do? You always do. We went to a mission in, in Ventura, and we're looking at the artifacts, and we're looking at some old thing, and it says, do not touch. And my girls were watching me, and I go, honey, I, 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 I just can't resist. I, I, oh. and I touched it. And my girls followed my example. And now if they said, please, or they didn't say anything. I had, would have no desire to touch it. Something about that law. As Christians, we sometimes have a tendency to make rules of holiness for ourselves and then want to impose them on others. Remember that old slogan, don't smoke, drink or chew or go with girls who do? We may have our own prohibitions against what movies we see. Oh, I don't see our movies. How about you, brother? Right? We engage and we, we may have... Um, Activities we engage in or we don't engage in, there's foods that we eat or, 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 or we don't drink certain things, but let's not impose our restrictions on others. The Bible is clear about what we can and can't do, but, those, but there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of gray area. The thing is about this, if you have laws, it takes away the relationship, right? Right? Roman, in Romans fourteen four, Paul says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. He's talking about legalistic judging on things that are not clearly said in the Bible. When we judge others in a legalistic fashion imposing our convictions on our brothers and sisters, we are acting just like the Pharisees. A good rule of thumb is this. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's the the motto for Hope Academy this year, isn't it not, Kevin? Right? Whatever you do. What is that implying? Well, that whatever you do, you're mindful about God. That's real Christian living, isn't it? That's what you talk about, isn't it? It's about being mindful of God in everything We do. Whenever we discuss things at staff about certain policies and procedures here at Hope Chapel, Pastor Zach inevitably says this, let's err on the side of grace. Let's err on the side of grace. I like that. Grace. Isn't it wonderful to receive grace from others? Isn't it nice to be considered gracious? I want to be more gracious. When I finished my sermon on Thursday, I was waiting at a stoplight at Prospect and Artesia. And it was late at night. It was about midnight, and I'm waiting. All of a sudden, boom, I got hit. And, huh? Huh? You know, what do you think? Okay, does he have insurance? Is there any damage to my car? And I got out. I wasn't mad. I got out. I looked at the back of my car. No damage. I looked at him, and he's like... (laughs) And I thought... You know what, there's there's nothing there's nothing wrong here. He goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I go, it's okay, it's okay. No damage here, we'll just move on. And you know what? He was relieved. Wouldn't you be relieved if you bump some? And who hasn't bumped somebody, right? Okay, lately. (laughs) But isn't it refreshing if someone goes, hey, it's okay, it's only a scratch, but not here in California. Wow, you know, you're oh my gosh. But I figured, gosh, since I'm teaching about grace, I better be gracious. Especially since I have Christian bumper stickers on the back of my car. (laughs) So it's good to be gracious. The Pharisees knew nothing about grace, did they? They caught Jesus breaking their tradition on the Sabbath. And this is how Jesus answered them. Verse 3. Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. And he and his companions ate the consecrated bread which was not lawful for them to do but only for the priests. Now Jesus is using a bit of sarcasm here to make a point. Don't you teachers of Israel know what the Bible says? That would be like saying to a professor of systematic theology at Talbot, haven't you read the word? Charles Spurgeon notes that these teachers studied the sacred books continually pouring over each word and letter. They made notes of very little importance, but still very curious notes as to which was the middle verse of the entire Old Testament, which verse was halfway to the middle, and how many times such a word occurred, and even how many times a letter occurred, and the size of the letter and its peculiar position. So they knew when the, what the middle of the Bible was. They knew what the middle of the middle of the Bible was. They knew how big the letters were. That's ridiculous. Now, Jesus is not just asking these Pharisees if they read their Bible, but do they understand it? What our Lord is saying is that to truly read is to understand. As one man said, we don't really read when we simply allow the words to pass under our eyes, the sentences to glide before our glasses. When our souls flit over the word of Holy Scripture, the way a bird does over the landscape, that's not reading. If that's how we read, we may as well read it in Latin. I'm guilty of getting my quiet time out of the way, right? Oh gosh, I only have this much time. I do my allotted reading. <laughs> and then I go, what did I, what did I just read, Lord? I'm sorry. So what I do now when God speaks to me and I'm in my man cave, in the garage in the corner where it's cold <laughs> and I'm suffering, when God speaks to me, I write it on Facebook, and I call it messages from the man cave. So throughout the day, I forget, oh, God spoke to me about something here, and I can go look. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it ministers to to me throughout the day, so I don't forget. I don't forget. I usually don't get big chunks of scripture that he speaks to me. It's usually like one thing, right? Oh, God, and so it's been really helpful for me. The Pharisees obviously didn't read and understand the account of David, to which Jesus refers, and the point of that whole passage in 1 Samuel 21, let me me briefly summarize it. David, David was fleeing for his life from the vengeful King Saul, who tried to have him killed because he was a threat to his throne. David, desperate and hungry, enters the tabernacle, the place where God's dwelling place was on earth. He asks for bread to eat, but there was no ordinary bread to give him. Only the consecrated bread, which is called the bread of the presence. This was a thank offering to the Lord as a symbol of him daily providing for Israel's needs. Twelve fresh loaves, representing the twelve tribes of Israel, were baked weekly and replaced on the Sabbath day. This bread could only be eaten by the priests. An exception was made for David and his men because of their hunger. So the priests gave them the consecrated bread, the forbidden bread, the bread that was only allowed to be fed to the priests. The interesting thing is the Lord did not discipline any of them for this violation of his ceremonial law. Isn't it interesting? The bread of the presence represents God's daily provision. Here comes David and his hungry men needing that provision, but the law says they can't have it. God still gives it to them. Why? Because it was necessary to meet the needs of God's people. The point of this account, since God makes allowances for his own law to be broken by acts of compassion and mercy, how much more should he allow for needs to be met by breaking foolish man-made traditions? If God allows his law to be broken out of compassion, how much more silly rules made by men? Now we understand that principle in this culture. All of us would run red lights and break the speed limit if we were rushing a dying child to the hospital, would we not? We would use a neighbor's water hose without his permission if we were putting out a fire. And every single one of us would hide Jewish people in our basements from the Nazis during World War II, even though that was against the law. Because there's a higher law, isn't there? Oh, but I'm lying. Well, there's a higher law saving life. There's a higher law. Compassionate acts are always within the true spirit of the law, and they certainly trump man's tradition. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right? All the holy men passed by the guy who was dying on the side of the road because he was, eh, eh, right? He then gives the legalists another example. Verse 5. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? What does Jesus mean by that? Well, he's saying that the priests defile or violate, dishonor, and pollute the Sabbath day by working hard. In fact, they worked really hard. Yet, they are not guilty of violating it. This is what the priests did on the Sabbath. Priests made drink offerings and grain offerings. They had to light fires and they had to burn up sacrificed animals that they themselves killed they then had to lift up heavy dead animals and place them on the altar and I can guarantee you that those sacrifices weighed a lot more than a dried fig and get this on the Sabbath day the priests had to do double duty they had to do twice as much work yet they're still held blameless Even the most legalistic Christian wouldn't accuse someone of violating the Lord's Day by preaching the word on the Lord's Day or by teaching children's church or leading a youth group or ushering or stacking chairs after the service. If this angered and embarrassed the Pharisees, then what Jesus said next infuriated them. Verse 6, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. The temple was held in highest regard by the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day. Nothing was greater than the temple except God himself. Jesus here is claiming that since he is God, he can lay aside any human regulation as he sees fit. Isn't that God's right? He can lay aside human regulation. If David getting bread from the tabernacle is permissible on the Sabbath, if there are exceptions for priests serving in the temple on the Sabbath, then there better be an exemption from those Sabbath rules for the one who is the true God, Jesus Christ. He is certainly more sacred than any house God dwelt in. But here's the clincher, and here's the main point of this lesson. The last two verses. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is telling them that the Sabbath day was never meant to prevent acts of mercy when needed. Did Jesus go around doing good? He did good, especially on the Sabbath, to show what a compassionate, loving God does, to show what a gracious and merciful God he is. Right before Jesus healed the man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath, he asked the Pharisees and teachers of the law this question. I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? Tell me, what is it better to do on the Sabbath? To do good or evil? To save life or destroy it? See, you knew more than the Pharisees did. Jesus healed a man of dropsy on the Sabbath. He healed a man born blind on the Sabbath. He healed a man who was an invalid for 38 years. Years He healed sick people. He cast out demons. He even ate heads of grain when he was hungry on the Sabbath. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you wouldn't have condemned these disciples of mine if you really understood what God desired. Mercy, not ritual. In Mark 2.27, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Of all the days to do good, the Sabbath was the day to do it. The religious leaders had it all backwards. They made this day the hardest day of the week to enjoy life with God. The Sabbath was a day for rest, a day to pray and play, a day to relax, for group and refresh. I mean, think about it. If before you came to Hope Chapel today, you had to take, I don't know, three books and put them on a counter... You had to pray over your coffee. You had to sign a list. You had to stand at the door for five minutes and open it. And all this stuff, you're going to say, you know what? I don't want to go there today. There's too much work before I even sit down on the chair. Same thing here. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you wouldn't have condemned these disciples if you understood what God desired. Christianity is not about rules and regulations It's not about laws or tradition. We understand that, right? It's not about rules and have-tos. It's about grace and mercy. He wants merciful hearts, hearts that reflect who he is. Matthew 5, 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. When Jesus said that he is Lord of the Sabbath, he meant that he's in charge of it. No perversion of it would be tolerated. He created it, He would demonstrate what it means, and he would fulfill it. And you know something? Jesus did fulfill the Sabbath. What does that mean? Hebrews 4 says this, that because of Jesus Christ, we have entered into that rest. The main reason God provided the Sabbath was because it was a picture of Jesus Christ, our true Sabbath rest. Colossians 2, 16 and 17, get this, this is really important. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The Sabbath was a picture of the rest to come. All those years of honoring the Sabbath was a picture of Jesus Christ. The Sabbath was God's way of saying a true rest is coming. The Pharisees completely ruined that illustration. If the kingdom of God was filled with all those rules and do's and don'ts like the Sabbath they had invented, who wanted it? Who wanted the Sabbath day? Now, we don't observe the Sabbath anymore as Christians. Did you know that? Because Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. Christians have set aside Sunday as the Lord's Day because he rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Now that is a special day in which many of us worship God today, fellowship together, and bring our offerings. But it's not the Christian Sabbath. It's the Lord's Day. People who came here last night for service, for them, that was their time of worship and fellowship. How about Friday night? Is it okay? Yes. It's okay. We're free. It's not about rules and regulations. In fact, we are free to honor any day above the others or no day at all. Do you know that? We're free to honor any day above the others or no day at all. Romans 14, 5 and 6 says, One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. You see, it's about that relationship, right? You know when our day of rest is? Mondays. But guess what? My wife doesn't have me around for the other six days, so I've got to do some things for my family. What if I say, honey, I know you've been homeschooling all week, tending to the house. I've been working six days. Today is my Sabbath. Today is the day that I'm resting. Sorry. Now, is that relationship, is that kind, is that acts of mercy towards my wife? No. But she also understands I need rest. But it's a relationship between her and I. It's a relationship between God and I. Does that make sense? Sabbath is made for us. So have you entered his rest? Or are you striving, working, wondering if your life is pleasing enough to God to merit his favor? are the words of this song by Audio Adrenaline called Rest Easy, the Sentiments of Your Heart. Read these words. I'm such a sinner. I fear my evil ways. I fear my imperfection. I fear my final days. I just want to take control and snap this rusty chain. Drop my heavy burden. It seems to be in vain. If that's how you feel, if you're weighted down with sin, with burdens, with struggles, with problems, with trials, then listen to this chorus. Rest easy. Have no fear. I love you perfectly. Love drives out fear. I'll take your burden, you take my grace. Rest easy in my embrace. You can rest easy now and in eternity if you have come to Jesus Christ, your true Sabbath rest. His offer still stands today as it did 2,000 years ago in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can rest easy, in you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your compassion on all that you have made. Thank you for the picture of Jesus in the Sabbath day. And thank you that you give us the freedom to celebrate it. You give us the freedom not to celebrate it. Because you're not a God of rules and regulations and and law. You're a God of grace. Though there are things we must obey, there are things we we must do as we follow you. Your word says that if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. We do so because we love you. We do so because we love you. And many of us here, Lord, are, are weighted down and burdened because we're not sure where we stand with you. I pray for those people today that this would be the day that they they recommit their lives and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you, whatever it takes. I love you. I miss you. Your word says that when we draw near to, to you, you draw near to us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. That is a wonderful truth, and I'm thankful for that. And Lord, there are others here who don't know you at all. They've never made that commitment to follow you not born again, and I want to pray for their hearts right now as I speak to them. I want to speak to you, visitor, or someone who's been coming to Hope Chapel for many years but have never taken that step of faith, to repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ and enter into a Sabbath rest. If you're just playing the game of church, or you're just here because you think you're going to earn favor with God, there's nothing you can do to earn his favor apart from putting your trust in him. Because you're still dead in your sin and trespasses. God has a standard. His moral standard is the Ten Commandments. If you break just one, you've sinned. If you've lied, you're a liar. If you've stolen one thing, you're a thief. If you've misused God's name, you're a blasphemer. Jesus calls lust adultery and hatred and anger murder. Have you ever dishonored your father and mother? You've sinned. You've sinned. And you're guilty. There's also the fourth commandment. We don't use the fourth commandment much. And some people may think, why is that fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments if you don't use it much? Well, the fourth commandment is Christ in the commandments. He is our Sabbath rest. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. If you have not honored Christ in your hearts, then you have violated the most important commandment of all, You're living in disbelief. So I want to ask you today, have you committed your life to Jesus? Have you you put your trust in him? If you haven't, the Bible says that you will end up in hell for eternity. Don't shrug it off. Don't poo-poo it. It's the truth. It's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. And that's a serious thing. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But the good news is this, God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. He suffered and died on that cross 2,000 years ago, was buried for three days and rose again, taking upon him the punishment we deserve. You broke God's law, you have to pay the fine. You have to pay that fine for eternity in hell. Or you can take God's gracious provision, the bread that came down from heaven, Jesus Christ, and you can say, yes, I believe in him. When you believe in him, when you put your trust in him, God forgives you, he washes you clean. You prove that you love him now by repenting of your sin, turning away from your sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So I want to ask you right now, I'm only going to ask and wait about 30 seconds. If God has spoken to your heart today about your condition before him and you want to be saved, if you want to be born again, raise your hand right in your seats. Raise your hand right now in your seat. If you're playing the game, don't raise your hand. Or if you believe you're saved, you don't have to, obviously. And if you are saved, you don't. But if you're not saved... Get saved today. Raise your hand and I'll lead you in a prayer of repentance and faith. Don't waste. Don't waste this opportunity. Is there anyone right now who wants to put their faith and trust in Jesus? Today is the day of salvation. Okay, very good. Praise the Lord. We're all family. Well, then let's stand and let's worship him one more time. Our elders will will come here to the front. And if you need prayer, if you need to confess your sin to somebody, please take advantage of that time. God bless you.